We've been talking about the life of Jesus and Mary stirring some things up in her heart. We're going to continue with this concept of Mary stirring things up in her heart, but just a little bit later in that very same chapter of Luke 2. Before I get into that, um, the other last week, I can't even remember what day it was, but in the evening, we had uh, some relatives over, our grandkids were there, and we were watching the movie Home Alone. Now, for the first half of the movie, the, they're just kind of anxious. So when, when are the bad guys going to come into the house? Because they were all excited to see this eight-year-old kid. I almost said punk, but kid. <laughs> yeah, kind of a distasteful personality or character issues in this guy's life. But he does change. And his name is Kevin. And Kevin's eight years old. And my grandkids are wondering, when are the bad guys going to come in? Because this eight-year-old takes it to these two bad guys, right? The, the wet bandits. And um, I, how many of you have never seen the movie? Okay, so I'm free to talk about it. Great. No spoiler alerts needed. And, but it was exciting to, to see this eight-year-old transformed because he is left alone. That was his initial wish, but he is left alone. He's initially, he wakes up in the morning, and everybody's gone, of course, and they flew to, what, France or something. And he's initially just excited that, wow, my family is actually gone. And he's just partying and eating ice cream and watching stuff he probably shouldn't. Uh, but then he, re- he begins to miss them and begins to feel a little rejected because he was left home alone. Now, that changes, and he turns into this brave kid, and there's some nice little uh, heartwarming backstories there. And, and it's just nice to see how this story unfolds. <laughs> but some of us, in our life, we can kind of feel the way Kevin did in that we are going through certain things. Hang on one second. I don't know why my phone started over, but that was, I'm three minutes apparently into my sermon. But <laughs> Kevin is, is transformed, but many of us, we're still feeling as if going through, especially like 2020, we kind of feel home alone. We kind of feel as if God has moved on and he's left us here and we're kind of wondering, God, what's going on here? And there are certain expectations, I'm going to use this phrase, faulty expectations that I believe God wants to deal with us this morning. As we move into the year 2021, God wants to deal with some faulty expectations that we have of God, and we're going to need to know how to identify those because I think we're going to see some of these in the story this morning, okay? Mary, it says, treasured up these things in her heart. Turn with me to Luke chapter 2. We learned about this at the end of the Christmas story, chapter 2, verse 19. That is, the shepherds had this visitation of angels. They came, they finally found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And what they shared with her, she stored up in her heart. And there was a reason why. And we kind of saw some interesting things there and what this would mean for us. We, Luke now uses a very similar word and a very similar concept later in this chapter that we're going to read at the very end of our story again this morning. And that is, we're going to start then in chapter 2 with verse 41. Every year his parents, that is Jesus' parents, went to Jerusalem for the feast of Passover. And can I just stop right there? The families did this. It was actually a requirement that males do this three times a year at three different Jewish festivals. Passover was the first one of their religious calendar. They would all pilgrimage to Jerusalem to celebrate this feast. When he was 12 years old, he They went up to the feast according to the custom. After the feast was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began to look for for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. 
Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Listen to what Jesus says. Twelve years old. Why were you searching for me? He asked. You almost want to pause there. And if you were Jesus' mother, you would say, what? Hello? What do you mean, why were we searching for you? Here's a second question. Didn't you know? And I want you to underline that phrase. Didn't you know? Because we're going to come back to that. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. And may I add to that, many of us sitting here this morning may not understand what Jesus was saying, so we're going to need to look at this. He continues on. Then he went to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them, but his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. Now, our point that we're going to get to with regard to faulty expectations and, you know, feeling home alone, isn't Jesus feeling home alone? Okay, we're going to come back to that. So I am not building up to say that Jesus felt rejected because he was left home alone. All right, but we will need to look at that. And I would say that for us to understand what's going on here, what is it that Mary is treasuring up in her heart? The question we asked last week with regard to the nativity story, here we need to ask that very same question. What is Mary stirring up in her heart? Because if we don't understand what she's stirring up, storing up in her heart, we're not going to be able to get what Luke, I believe, is trying to communicate to us. So <laughs> let's, let's look at that question. What is Mary treasuring up in her heart? Well, it says here that she treasured up these things. Now, let's be a little bit more specific because in the Greek, it is actually these words. It's the plural of rhema. You're probably familiar with logos and rhema. This is the word rhema, the plural rhemata. It's words. It's not just things, but it's very specific Mary's focus that she's stirring up in her heart is what Jesus said to her. And what Jesus said to her were two questions. This is what she stirred up in her heart. And the implications that we need to unwrap here of what Jesus meant by this, because initially they didn't understand. Mary stored up these words. Now, last week, this sentence of being what Mary was doing, treasuring these things, and in verse 19, it's literally these things. It's just that here, Luke is more specific, these words. But this, in verse 19, it begins, but Mary. Now, in my translation, it begins the very same way, but his mother treasured up these things in her heart. Technically, that word but is not a contrast word. It's not but, it's and. Now, this is important because that's not what we found last week. Luke purposely used a Greek word that means there's a slight contrast here. And it's important for us to realize that there is no contrast here. The previous Jesus went home and was obedient, but Mary stored these things up. It's no, and Mary stored these things up. Okay? In view of what Jesus said, Mary stored these things up in her heart. There's no contrast. This happens in both the Hebrew and the Greek language. In the Hebrew, it's just a very simple word, the, and. And when in historical narrative, you're telling a story, and this happened, and this happened, and this happened, it can get somewhat repetitive because that's just the way the Hebrews tell a story. So many times in your translations, you won't even find the word and. Greek is very similar. They use the word and as a connective word for a lot of things in historical narrative. This is just a continuation of the story. There's no contrast here. All right? Can I ask you, when Mary stored this up, did she view Jesus as being disobedient? 
Now, I think our initial take would be, well, in the grand view, grand scope of Scripture, of course, Jesus wasn't disobedient because Jesus never sinned. And we need, I want us to look at this phrase that in verse 51, it says, then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. It doesn't say, but he was obedient to them. Like there's a contrast, like this story reveals some disobedience and dishonor but when he went back home, he was a good little boy. That's not what Luke is trying to say here. He's actually using the word and because, <coughs> excuse me, because just as Jesus was obedient here, he went home and he continued to be obedient. Okay? That's important. Now, as we look into why we what why is Luke wanting us to know that Jesus is obedient here? It adds emphasis to what he is saying, impact to what, because Jesus' words are piercing to Mary, unexpected. What do you mean why we're researching with you? What do you mean I should know to have found you here? Son, you're not making sense. Because she comes to, when she finds him here, she she does believe that he was disobedient. He does believe that he has dishonored him. And she comes to the realization that he has not. And I believe that Luke challenges us in this. Follow me here. Not only is this word and a connective, so he was obedient in this story and he continued to be obedient. But look back there in verse 43. After the feast was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus, now the NIV says stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. (laughs) If we were to have used, if Luke were to have used the word left, as in Jesus was left in Jerusalem, that would give you a hint that maybe Mary and Joseph made a mistake here. Maybe it's their fault. But that's not the word that Luke uses. <laughs> Excuse me. Mary and Joseph probably had a large family with them. Realize Jesus was the oldest and he had at least four four brothers and at least two sisters. He could have had more, but we do know the names of his four brothers and scripture tells us that he had sisters. He could have had three or four sisters, but he had sisters, so more than one. That's a large family. That's at least what? Six plus one? Yeah, you do the math. Traveling. And very possibly, Jesus being the oldest was kind of watched by a relative, but the relative probably thought that his parents were watching him, and lo and behold, they left without him. But I think Luke chooses not to use this Greek word to find fault in Mary and Joseph, okay? He uses this word that very simply means that Jesus remained in Jerusalem. Now, in our English, uh, Luke uses, he translated, translates it, he stayed in Jerusalem, almost as if it was in, his intention. It's just that that Greek word doesn't necessarily mean that Jesus' intention was, you're going there, but I'm going to remain here. I'm going to stay here. This is a neutral word. Luke's purpose is he's not finding fault with anyone. Can I tell you a story? I, I think I was like five years old. We were going on vacation. So we live in Wilmington, Delaware. We're traveling north to Maine, and we pit stop in Rhode Island. Now, Rhode Island is basically uh, an upside-down U-shaped piece of land with a huge bay in the middle, and Providence, Rhode Island, is located in the north, probably northwestern portion of that bay. My grandmother's aunt lived there, and we would always pit stop in her home. I can't remember if it was a day or two days or whatever, but at least overnight, But when we woke up the next morning, we started playing, and I fell asleep on the couch. Here's the problem. Everybody was getting ready, packing up, loaded up in the station wagon, and headed out. Now, I don't know how far down the road they were, 
I hope they didn't get all the way to Maine and my mom looked around and said, oh, let's count noses. That's how she would put it. Where's Michael? I'm kind of hoping that it was just a few miles down the road that this happened. Nevertheless, she turned around and said, guys, where's Michael? He's certainly not hiding in the glove compartment. So they t- my dad turned the vehicle around, came home, and there I was asleep on the, on the couch. They didn't get angry with me. They actually did leave me home. Uh, I was left home alone. Okay. No, actually, my aunt was still there, um, and they didn't have cell phones, so she couldn't say, hey, Dave, you know what? You forgot your son. But they turned around, thank you, Lord, and I, I grew up with parents. So the truth is, what would happen, though, if I woke up and my great aunt, my aunt, had decided, you know what, I'm, I'm going to need to run for groceries. Dave and Bunny, they've already left with the family, so I, and she didn't see me. And then I wake up, and I look around, and it's like, where did everybody go? And I look out in the driveway, and there's no cars there. And so I go out, and I start walking down the street, and I'm looking for my pit. Where did everybody go? Did they go to the park? Uh, they, they loved going out to eat and eating seafood. Maybe I should walk there. We could live with that. And so I, I, what if I were to have walked? Now, what happens when my parents came back, and they see me walking down the road? They probably would have said, Michael, there you are. Did you not realize that we were getting ready? What were you doing playing outside in the street when we were trying to get ready? We ended up leaving without you. We've been searching for you. But Jesus, again, no fault. Luke is not looking to place any blame, but (coughs) Jesus becomes aware that the family has left. The whole caravan. Apparently, there's a lot of relatives and family going with... All of them left, and he is left home alone. And he does the most natural thing we're going to get to in a moment. So, Mary and Joseph turn around. (laughs) My parents would have faulted me because they would have assumed that the reason why they didn't take me is because I wasn't in the house. All right? Luke is not suggesting this. Something has happened. We're not going to place blame. All we know is that Jesus was left. Jesus remained in Jerusalem, and now they're looking for him. And see, that's what Mary and that is what Jesus focuses on. Because when Mary and Joseph came back, they didn't immediately go to the temple. When they came back, they came back to the house where they were staying. Jesus wasn't there. And so they began searching throughout Jerusalem. Where could he be? Where could he be? And finally, apparently, at the end of the day, so one day traveling out there, one day to come back, and then another day to look for him. And they finally, at the end of the day, finally find him. Oh, my goodness. Mary had thought they had lost him forever. Can you imagine the anxiety that she was feeling? And when she finally found him, what are you doing? We've been searching for you. Can I ask you? We, we, I think I've already asked, answered the next question. Why were they searching for Jesus? Because when they came to the house, they didn't find him. Now the last question. <clears throat> and this is what Jesus is addressing And he talks about why they would need to search. Why, he says, why are you, why were you searching for me? Didn't you know that I would be here? Now, literally, it's, didn't you know I had to be in my father's things or in the things of my father? The word house is not there. The word temple is not there. It's in the things of my father. Now, the things of his father is not Joseph. Understand, Jesus is 12 now, and generally about that time, a 12-year-old boy would have a transition in his life. He's been doing a lot of book learning. 
And now the transition is somewhere in that time. It's not necessarily 12, but somewhere in that time frame. The concept of bar mitzvah has not been invented yet. That's later in the next century, okay? Jesus isn't waiting for his bar mitzvah. We don't know anything about this concept of bar mitzvah. Actually, the bar mitzvah party, the celebration, we don't hear of that until the Middle Ages. So Jesus isn't thinking about his bar mitzvah what he is, what anything, there is this now, this transition in his life. For some boys at age 12 or somewhere around there, 13, 11, instead of all of the book learning, he would now transition to learn from his father, his father's business. Now, Joseph was a carpenter. The Greek word is technon, and it, it dent, or, um, yeah, technon, and, and we generally have translated carpenter, but it's more than likely, it's just to be simply translated builder. Jesus was a contract, excuse me, Joseph was a contractor. Joseph was a builder, maybe even a stonemason. This word is a very, has a, has a broad meaning. Actually, three miles from Nazareth, there was a major project when Jesus was a boy a government, the, the Herod was having a large building being built by stone, and in between Nazareth and this town in which this building was being built, halfway, a mile, mile and a half, there was a large stone quarry. And people think, you know, Joseph probably worked that stone, not with wood, but with a stone, to build, help build this. And, and he was going to start apprenticing his son. Regardless of what Jesus, excuse me, Joseph actually did, he was a builder. He was to train Jesus. And we know that both Joseph was a, a builder or a carpenter. So was Jesus. Jesus began to be mentored by him. But Jesus says, Mary's question, excuse me, is this. Son, we have been searching for you. Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. I don't know why the, Joseph isn't the one who addresses his son, but it's Mary. And I think it's because Luke wants us to see, Mary, you're the one that stored all of these things up. You would have been the one to know what Jesus was up to, and where to find him, but you didn't. And I'm going to start getting into faulty ex expectations with regard to Mary in just a moment. But here then, Mary is saying, your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. And Jesus is saying, didn't you know that I would be in the things of my father? And he doesn't mean his earthly father. He means his heavenly father. Didn't you know I would be a... He's at this age of transition. And yes, he's going to learn carpentry or stonemasonry or whatever it is. But you see, Jesus had a call on his life. And so he uses this phrase, didn't you know? And in the back of Mary's mind, she's thinking, what do you mean I would know? Why would I know that you would be here? See, if Jesus is in the things of his father, and many of you have a translation that says, didn't you know I'd be about my father's business, or I would be doing or about my father's affairs, or the things of my father, where, where would that happen? It would happen at the temple. So the NIV, instead of saying didn't you know I would be in my father's things? It's in my father's house. So it's an interpretation and not a translation. So it's fair enough. Didn't you know I would be here doing the things of my father, being mentored, if you will, by my father? I'm that age. Hello. And, and so Jesus, he's not being disrespectful, but he's probing Mary's heart. Why would Jesus, well, excuse me, why would Mary know this? Now, this is important. Because Mary comes with faulty expectations with regard to Jesus that sets her up actually to not understand why Jesus would be here. What is going on? She's not connecting the dots. And, and Jesus is saying, Mom, connect the dots. You should know this. When I wasn't there at the home, in essence, you should have come immediately to the temple to find me. Why is that? 
Let's dig into this. What is it that Mary, and actually the, the word is plural, so it's not just Mary, it's Mary and Joseph. What should they have known? We're going to find that at the heart of all faulty expectations is a misunderstanding of truth. Every single faulty expectation. We're not putting the truths of God's word together properly like a puzzle. We're not putting it together. We're not seeing when you put a puzzle together correctly, it, it shows you a picture. Every single faulty expectation that we have in which we turn around and we feel abandoned by God, well, that's not according to God's truth. It's because we've put the pieces of God's truth together in a wrong fashion. And we come up with this wrong picture of who God is. And so Joseph, excuse me, Jesus, in essence, is saying, Mom, you've put the pieces of the puzzle together wrong. How is this? Well, Joseph and Mary knew a few things. Actually, there's five things. They should have known that Jesus was special and no ordinary child. He was born, for crying out loud, from a virgin by the Holy Spirit. That sounds pretty special to me. No one in all of history was born of a virgin. Nobody. Nobody in all of history. Equipped with that knowledge, don't you think Jesus is pretty special? In addition to that, when the shepherds come, they tell of a visitation of angels and that they would actually find Jesus by this sign that they gave him. You'll find him in a manger wrapped in strips of cloth or swaddling clothes. That's pretty profound. I'm not sure that that type of angelic visitation, much less a choir of angels singing to a group of shepherds, that has never happened in all of history. In, in all that we read in the Old Testament and New, that never happened. Jesus is special. He's no ordinary child. Truth number two, Jesus was said, actually, the angel told G Joseph this in a dream, he will save his people from their sins. Moses saved his people from Egypt, but he didn't save them from their sins. No one in all of history had the call of God on their life to save their people from their sins. To save them from their sins means to save them, ap uh, save them out of their sinful lifestyle, to rescue them from their sins, to pull them out of their sin. Something would be something about Jesus and the power upon him, and we know it's through the cross and the resurrection that he empowered people, placing his spirit in them to pull them out of sin, forgive them, and change their life. No one has that ability but Jesus. That's truth number two. Truth number three, Jesus was, Mary was told Jesus was to sit on David's throne. That is, as king over God's kingdom. David was the first. He was promised that there would be another, but Solomon, his son, did not fulfill that. Jesus was to fulfill that. Jesus was the one who was to establish an everlasting kingdom, the new covenant in his blood. Jesus was new, this new king. Mary and Joseph knew this, but they didn't understand it. They have all of these truths that I'm going to share with you. They're puzzle pieces, and in their mind, maybe they grabbed two or three of them and put them together in an awkward fashion, and it just didn't make sense. Jesus is 12. The expectation is, you're my son. You're to be under my authority, following me. You, you're, you're to now come under the tutelage of your earthly father. And Jesus, is, in essence, is saying, I'm in this transition, mom and dad. I need you to recognize that there's something different about me, and I'm shifting, I'm changing. There's this, he, he, truth number four. Jesus 
will be called the Son of God and will be great. Mary says, your father and I, and Jesus says, my father's things, my father. Yes, he learned carpentry, but he became tutored, if you will, by his heavenly father for this mission that he was now inaugurated into some, what, 18 years later when he turned 30. For 18 years, the call of God on his life began to make more and more sense. He was now to be about his father's things. Mary shouldn't, okay, you know what? You are God's son. There is no one else except one person who was ever called the son of God. No one else. And you know who that other person was? We actually read him about him in, at the end of chapter 3. Adam, the son of God. Now, Adam was created by God in his image. And Jesus, we are told, was the only begotten of the Father. There's no one else. The one and only Son. Far greater than Adam himself. Jesus is the Son of God. And he will be great. And in truth number five, Jesus, we're told, the shepherds, the angels told the shepherds, Jesus is Savior, Messiah, and Lord. Now, on all of these truths, all of these five puzzle pieces, Mary struggled and Joseph struggled in putting them together and understanding how, what, what's going to be going on in Jesus' life. To the point where, Jesus, excuse me, Mary is standing at the foot of the cross 21 years later, he's 33 about, and she sees her son, the son of God, dying on a cross and these faulty expectations she still hasn't completely put the pieces of the puzzle together. And she is heartbroken. She feels abandoned by God. I don't understand. I did every, and I'm interpreting, I don't understand God. As her heart is churning and she's weeping before the cross and everything in her, was all of her life was crumbling to the ground. You see, some of us, that the year 2020, that's where you are. It's as if you're Mary standing before the cross and everything is crumbling before, and you're wondering, what is going on here? And I'm going to suggest that this feeling of abandonment, of being a feeling home alone, if you will, is because of faulty expectations. Let me unwrap. There are three things that we can see here very quickly that helped foster these faulty expectations. Number one, excuse me, I've got to turn the right page. Number one, number one, I want you to write this word down, lies. It's not consistent with all of the truth of God's revelation. See, Mary forgot. She had stored these things up in her heart, but she didn't put the pieces of the puzzle together right. You see, I'm, Luke doesn't want to fault her. She's human, just like you and me. Every single one of us, we go through life, and we are pull, we're, we're gleaning truths from God's word. And as we walk through life, we haven't put these pieces of the puzzle together, and the enemy is now able to lie to us and show us this picture that's faulty. A few pieces of truth. You know what? When Satan tempted Jesus... He, in the wilderness, he quoted scripture, but he left out a piece of the puzzle. He left out a truth. And that's what Satan will always do, to lead us down the wrong path of faulty expectation to arrive at this conclusion, God, you have abandoned me. God, where are you? God doesn't love me. God, why would you allow this to happen and this to happen? Are you against me? And we come to faulty, faulty conclusions because of our wrong expectations. And that all lies in truth. We have allowed the enemy to lie to us. Put the truths together. And I'm just going to let you know, church, this is why we need, desperately need to be in the word regularly. Okay, Psalm 1 says, day and night, 
the psalmist says, the wise man, he meditates on your word day and night so that he will be like this tree planted by streams of water. So that he won't be led astray by lies. He won't be coming to faulty expectations and then feel as if he's abandoned. God, you haven't lived up to this picture that I have of you. Because we've been lied to. And I'm just going to say, the more you spend in the word, the less that that's going to happen. And I'm just, I'm a man who spends a considerable amount of time in the word and I'm still finding that I put the pieces together wrong. But I tell you, I have to ask, what would happen if I weren't in the Word? I don't even want to think about that. Church, we must be in the Word. Otherwise, the enemy is going to lie to us. We're going to forget certain truths. And the second thing, the first thing is lies. The second thing is emotions. And now, without that strong uh, integration of truths in our lives, we set ourselves up to be led by our emotions rather than the truth. Mary comes and he says, we've been searching anxiously for you. She's driven by her emotion. And I'm not going to be overly dramatic with this, but I tell you what. If you had lost your 12-year-old son and you couldn't find him and you were separated from him for three days... Now, if you remember in the movie, when his mom finally sees him, she is just so relieved because she comes in the house and can't find him, and she's wondering, what has happened to my Kevin? When Mary and Joseph came back to the house, they didn't see Jesus. And so they searched through all of Jerusalem anxiously. And our emotions can lead us to these faulty expectations of frantic looking here and there, and it, for, it causes us to forget truth and not be led by it, but to be led by these emotions. Those, church, those emotions, rejection or anxiety, they can be fear. They can be so strong, overwhelming, overpowering, meaning they can lead us. The third thing, So we have lies, we have emotions, and we have desires. Mary's desire is that Jesus be their son. But she that came with strings attached, that Jesus needed to say, Mom, it's not that you're wrong, but you need to see the big picture. Our desires can lead us astray when we don't have the big picture of truth. Mary had forgotten, you know what? First and foremost, Jesus was not her son, but God's son. That was told to her by the angel himself, Gabriel. He will be the son of God. Wow. She is to care for him. And Jesus is just simply reminding her without saying it, remember, I'm God's son, and he is my father, and I'm following him. You know, for for some of us, well, let me just share this with you very quickly. It says, I got a cup here from Leanne. And Justin, um, she is finishing up a quarantine, by the way, so they couldn't make it, but um, that's going to end very soon, early week. And it says, Pastor Warning, anything you say or do could be used in a sermon. (laughs) So Leanne, if you're watching, I'm not going to tell a story about you. Now I'm going to tell a story about me. That's only fair, right? (laughs) Okay. Pastor Warning. Okay. I've shared this story with you before, so I'm only using it as a backdrop to see these principles apply. When I came down here to Florida to start the church, the Lord led me to start a business. I still do that business. I didn't expect to be doing it today, but I am, okay? And I can remember when I started out, and for two straight weeks, so understand, I bring my family down to Florida. We're going to start a church. 
there's no finances, so I'm going to start a business. It's a business that I had done for two years. I knew the ropes. I knew how to put it together and such. I'd been a business owner before in a different, uh, an, another type of business. So I'm going to take all of these things. I'm going to start a business, and okay, we'll do this. Uh, a, a month before um, I actually start the business, I come to Orlando because we're in South Florida four hours away, and, and so I'm traveling back and forth. And, and I come up here, and I, I knock on the doors of 60 dealerships, a lot of them. When I asked the question, would you be interested in at least trying me, said yes. Now when I went back, every single one of them said no. I was, just, I was thinking, God, here's the truth. I, true, I believe that there's a call of God in my life to be a pastor. And through these circumstances, you've led my family down here. But if there are no finances, we fall flat on our faces. And not, am I, not only am I embarrassed, but beyond that, I can't support my family. We run out of savings. I sit down, and I have it out with God. I've, I've gone to almost, to be fair, almost, I even went to Mount Dora, almost every dealership. And they were saying, no, 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 no. How would you like to go to 60 places to sell something and every single one of them, one after the other, said, nope, you're crazy. Nope, already got somebody, already have it. You're selling me a vacuum cleaner? Oh, that's old. Already have one. You know what? Yours is $700. Mine's only 150 and it works great. And you're like, how can, this is impossible. Now, I've been in sales before. I, I hate that feeling. I'm not the best salesman either. And so here I am, and I, I pit stop for lunch, and I'm just having it out with God. I am having the most royal pity party with, I am the only one invited, because that's how pity parties work. Sorry if you didn't get the memo or an invitation. It was me only, and God said, you know what, Mike? I want to be invited. And so he stepped into my pity party, he crashed the party, and he basically said to me, Mike, what are you doing? And I just felt that question impressed upon my heart as I'm sulking over my circumstances, eating my lunch. You know how, have you ever tried to eat when you're sulking? Oh, it tastes terrible. I mean, I know I'm the one that made that lunch because my wife is in South Florida. I'm, I'm up here. I made my lunch, but I don't make this bad of a lunch. But man, did it taste terrible. And I'm sitting there forcing myself to eat. And the Lord gives me an illustration. I'm not going to go into it about a house that's being torn down. Old planks ripped off of this house to be restored. And the house is still there, by the way. And the Lord just begins to show me, Mike, right now. Because understand, for two weeks, I've been going through this. No, 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 no. Oh, Lord. And he says, Mike, there's some rotten planks in your life. You have failed to put certain truths together, and it's like he needed to reach down and just rip all of that out and start working something so new in me. And that's when I realized that pity parties were my enemy. Church, Kevin in Home Alone had a royal pity party at least in the movie, which, by the way, Hollywood did. It's not real life. If you were wondering if it was based on real life, I don't think so. And here he is, and he manages to work through this, and it ends out happily. God wants to reach into your life and rip out some of this dead wood. And he wants to rework it. And he wants to make it beautiful. But he's got to deal with some of the lies that you're believing and some of these emotions that keep leading you and these desires that aren't in line with his desires. Not quite. And he's pull, he was pulling these things out of my life. And it hurt. I'm not going to lie to you. And for I had the longest lunch, two or three hours long, just sitting there, and I didn't want to get up. And as the Lord is showing me this illustration, as I just watched these workers, again, the impression came to me so strongly. He said, get up and move on. It was as if he gave me this royal swift kick in the behind. Mike, get up and move on. 
And he began showing me what I'm sharing with you this morning. These are some things that we need to attend to, to deal with this pitter party, feeling abandoned. God, where are you? Because I would venture to say in 2020, probably all of us have felt that way at some point. Things didn't work out the way you wanted to. Maybe a business, it didn't thrive the way you wanted to. Maybe you lost a job. You didn't expect that. Maybe the promotion that was offered to you was pulled out from under you because of COVID. Maybe certain expectations with family fell through royally. And you're, you're wrestling with this and saying, God, I don't understand. Where are you now? And God wants to say to you, didn't you know? Didn't you know? Let's go back to the truth and, and what have I taught you? All of these things, let's begin to put them together. Let's pull the rotten wood out. Let's put these truths together and let's deal with them. I would venture to say God is doing that with probably every single one of us. Well, last year, 2020. Wow, the year's gone by, over with. 2021. What lies have you believed? What emotions have driven you? What desires have led you? Allow God to bring change. Can you trust him to lead you in this new year? Can you allow him to pull up the rotten wood? Can you allow him to take these faulty expectations that you bring into this new year and allow him to rework those? He's going to do that as he reveals more and more of his truth. God is still good, church. There is not one iota of anger or hatred or dislike that he has for you. He's so, he is good. He loves you. He has great plans for you. He said that to a people who were idolaters, who were, had completely gone astray, an entire nation, and he had uprooted them from Israel and brought them to Babylon. And, and, and Jeremiah said to the remaining people, God still has good plans for you. Do you not think that they, at least in some measure, felt abandoned by God, even the temple, that they believe, well, this is a holy place. This is God's place. It was destroyed. Wow, God. He was totally upending their life. But through the Spirit, Jeremiah said, God has plans for your good, not to harm you. Do you believe this, church? This is who God is. The devil wants to paint a different picture, but it's all a lie. It's all wrong expectations. God has not failed us. He hasn't failed you. Let's go back to truth. He is good. He is loving. He still delights in you and gives you the desires of your heart. See, I figured, you know, God gives when we delight in him, God gives you the desires of your heart. So you know what, God? You're going to give me the desire of my heart. You're going to give me this business, planning the church, and it's going to go so well. I truly believe if you're in the center of God's will, it will all go well. You know what? There were people in history, I can't name them all. They were in the center of God's will, and they were persecuted and killed. Probably not what they expected, but God did something amazing in their life. I'm going to encourage you, as you come back to truth, let God rework some of that rotten wood, those faulty expectations. And as you begin to re-put, if that's even a word, re-put these truths together, these puzzle pieces together, here's what you're going to see. You will see Jesus. He is going to be everything in your life. Not your business, not your goals. I'm not saying he's not going to do those things, but he wants to reveal to you Jesus. 
He wants to reveal to you his son who is eternal, who has called you to eternal things. And we're living through this life so momentarily, because, but it is all about Jesus. It is all about him, church. It is not about your business. It's not about this new home you want to buy. It's not about this new car you're thinking about buying. It is about Jesus. This is who we live for, and that is it. And I am in the process of saying, God, no matter what you call me to, no matter what you have me do, you have called me to Jesus. And I want to bring as many people with me as I can. That's the call on my life. That is the call on your life. It's going to look different than mine, but that is the call on your life as a mom, a dad, a child who is growing up like Jesus at age 12, now transitioning to this different call that was upon his life. Can you let him do this deep work in your heart? Can you stand with me? As we go through the year 2021, let that be the cry of our heart. When you're in the center of God's will, God never promises that everything will go well. Yes, he will give you the desires of your heart. But sometimes the desires that are in your heart right now are, are not his desires. And he needs to change them to be his desires. That's what he'll give you. So, Father, we just come before you. The year 2020 for many of us, and probably all of us, there was so much that was hard. Father, for some, and it wasn't just 2020, but the years before, there's been a distance that has grown between us and you. And for some of us, Lord, we've allowed that distance only to go, grow greater. For them especially, I plead with you, Heavenly Father, reach down from heaven and pull them into your plan. Pull them, God, to you. That distance is not because you've rejected us, but because of what we are doing. Lord, help us. I ask, Father, as we move into this new year, we would be a people grounded in the truths of your word and who you are. Help us, Lord, as we put those pieces together. Let them reveal the true picture of Jesus, of your love, your goodness, your amazing plans for us. You have not left us home alone. Thank you for this, God. Encourage our hearts, every one of us, Lord, with these words this morning, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.